the guys are really on a, a pretty short notice um, to, to hop. So it's, it's sort of a 10 minute notice to, to get back into the cab, get it flashed up and ready to go again. You're listening to the Rotary Wing Show, a show for helicopter aircrew by helicopter aircrew. Each episode, we travel the world to hear from the people that fly and support helicopters to learn a little bit more about their stories and pick up some tips along the way. If you want to catch up on past shows or see photos from the interviews, head over to rotarywingshow.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Just search for Rotary Wing Show and get future episodes direct to your phone. I'm your host, Mick Cullen. Welcome back to another episode. There has been heaps going on over the last couple of weeks. Probably the, the biggest thing we'll jump straight to was World Helicopter Day on the 16th of August. And just purely on, on Twitter alone, we had about 800 tweets uh, with the hashtag World Helicopter Day. And yeah, a heap of feedback about the, the different events there. So the American Helicopter Museum probably had the biggest day. They had, they had a huge uh, organization set up for that. So lots of fly-ins. They had EMF machines on display and tie that in with a HAI Aviation Safety Talks. Those in the, in the UK had a chance to sit in the cockpit of a hind at the Helicopter Museum at Somerset. And in Canada, we had a complex Capitel helicopter. They had a really big day too, sort of leading up to and featuring a, a parachute jump out of a helicopter. And just today, from Tanzania, from Ben Arnold at Everett Aviation, he's just sent me across some photos uh, from their event, it's actually got school kids uh, looking at their helicopter, and the kids are actually wearing World Helicopter Day uh, t-shirts, which is uh, pretty cool. We also had uh, special mentions for uh, independent helicopters with uh, past guest Heather Howley, a Panama Heliport designers, and Nisha's Helicopter Training in Texas for their events. I also made a mention here in Brisbane at Aeropower at uh, Redcliffe Airfield. We had eight helicopters on display, and another past guest. Uh, David Ely, he came along too. He was selling copies and signing uh, copies of his book. Uh, we had the Coast Guard, a coffee van, a barbecue set up. And it was just a, a constant flow of people coming in through the whole time we were set up and, and open for the uh, open day. At one stage, the, the horn on the tow motor was discovered by one of the kids. So that became a, a hit attraction uh, for a while until we discreetly moved that out of the road. And, and feedback from people coming through was, was great. You know, they, they really valued our chance to come in and, and talk to everyone and talk to the engineers and you know, see several helicopters up close. And I guess when you're working with them all the time, you have to take it for granted. But when people who are you know, coming in from other walks of life and they actually get to see them there and, and uh, you see their faces light up and the questions they're asking, you know, you actually sort of you know, realize it's something different that we, that we do. All in all, it was a, a great way to get the event kicked off for the first year. And we're looking at uh, the planning for 2016 in the next couple of weeks. And look, on that, I'm keen to get some feedback about the date. So the 16th of August falls on a Tuesday next year, which isn't all that good for a public open days. So I undecided at the moment whether to, to stick with the date or to juggle it slightly so that it falls on a weekend again. If you have thoughts either way on that or any other feedback, uh, you can send us an email at feedback at rotarywingshow.com. So I can yeah basically try and find something that, that works for the most amount of people and uh, organizations that want to be involved. We then backed up the very next weekend. Uh, we had here in Brisbane the uh, Brisbane Aviation Careers Expo at Brisbane Airport. Uh, so we're out again and uh, promoting our wares and promoting helicopters. 
And yeah, the Careers Expo, it was pretty light on for helicopters. We had one there. Uh, there was another helicopter, civilian company. There's an NH-90 from the Australian Army and a, and a Tiger. And that was about it in terms of uh, rotary wing. Uh, but the, you know, there was Hornet there, C-17, heaps of um, fixed wing uh, GA aircraft. And again, you know, quite a, a big turnout and crowd coming through uh, finding out about uh, aviation careers. And we pretty much had uh, probably the, the perfect spot on the day. We were set up right next to the Australian Army uh, NH-90 or the MRH, as they call it. And so as people would come through and, and check that out and then start walking away, we'd feed them straight through our stand and our tent and uh, try and convert them into to flying training or a, a trial flight. And if you uh, if you saw on Facebook or you followed it there, we did a, a live stream on the uh, Periscope app on the mobile phones. So I basically just walked around and uh, did a live stream straight from the event. So that was a bit of fun too. And this week, I've just been instructing on a helicopter landing officer course for asset aviation. I've spoken about that uh, in previous episodes, but yeah, again, just a good chance to, to do something else and look at it from the ground side and kind of yeah, actually see how much subject uh, knowledge that you have to pack in uh, when it goes from fueling to weather to heliport design uh, that folks need to know and actually you pick up as you go along. So yeah, that was a, yeah again, that was a helicopter landing officer course. And a fair bit of correspondence to catch up on too. So last couple of weeks, we've had email from Lister Mike uh, with an offer to help the Zululand air poaching wing out with some uh, FLIR experience. So he and Etienne Gerber from episode six have since been in touch to work that out. So thanks, Mike. I also got some really constructive criticism back from Ricardo in Mexico that might help if you are struggling with my Australian accent. So I'll try and uh, really focus on talking a little bit slower. And a shout out to Matthew, who is uh, an Australian lister, who has done really well on his Defence Force uh, pilot selection exams. And he's on to his next step in the uh, entry process and hopefully off to Tamworth for flight screening before the end of the year. So Matthew's doing really well there. Okay, so competition time, something that you can get involved in as a listener of the show. And basically I'll hang around to the end of the interview and I'll give you the details there on how you can win something. Okay, let's get into the meat of the episode. Today's guest is Gareth Ross from Superyacht Aviation in the UK. And funnily enough, given the name, they specialize in superyachts and helicopter operations. If you've ever dreamed of flying a machine with a VIP leather interior and, and sipping martinis from the helipad of a, a superyacht as it pulls out of Monte Carlo Harbour at sunset, then maybe this is the, the sector of the industry for you. Gareth spent 26 years in the British Royal Navy, including time as a flight deck officer on the carrier HMS Ark Royal. So he knows a bit about operating helicopters from ships. And now he's transferring that knowledge base to the civilian industry, along with the rest of the team at Superyacht Aviation. And a big thanks there to, to Jonathan at the company for helping to do some of the backwards and forwards with uh, coordinating the call and the setup. So let's find out a bit about this part of the helicopter world and operating to super yachts. And before we do, I do apologize about the audio quality in this one. We had a, a lot of trouble with the dropouts. I had to push through, you know, less than perfect conditions, but we got it recorded. And uh, here's Gareth. Gareth Ross from Superyacht Aviation. Thanks very much for being able to join us on the Rotary Wing show. No problem, mate. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm not actually looking forward to this one. I'm just taking a bit of backwards and forwards with your offsider, uh, Jonathan, to, to be able to tee up a time. But uh, yeah, the, the idea of having helicopters and, and flying off these super luxury yachts and things like that, 
sounds like you know really exciting stuff and uh, definitely you know a different part of the industry so i'm keen to get in and, and find some bits and pieces about it so what about for yourself though gareth we we're just talking before you hit record and you had a, a navy background can you just quickly talk about um yeah i guess your, your service and, and the role you played and how you got into aviation yeah certainly um i spent uh, 26 years in the, in the Royal Navy, um, a, a variety of jobs. The first sort of half of my time was spent as a um, trade supervisor on seekings, uh, various types and marks as well, really, and, and different uh, vessels from British to uh, aircraft carriers, and uh, lots in between. From there, I progressed into um, aviation support, um, which uh, incorporated crash fire rescue at fire stations at um, airfields and um, running small aviation support teams on board the back of uh, auxiliary support platforms. And then on to bigger decks and uh, became the flight deck officer of HMS Oak Royal when she was in commander helicopter role. And then finally at uh, HQ, uh, writing policy for aircraft handling crash fire rescue for the new carriers. From there, it uh, was a transition into civilian work. And after a, a phone call from a, a pilot friend of mine who was um, embedded into the new, um, into this new sector, uh, Super Aviation, if you like, went along to to help him train up his his crews on a private yacht, um, just to give them uh, benefit of some of my experience um, on on helicopters, uh, and uh, sort of progress from there. So you must see, a, I guess, we'll, we'll get into some details on that, but I'm, but I'm thinking going from those sorts of platforms in the Navy to some of these more sort of private um, operations. Like there would have been a huge disparity in, in procedures and things, I'm guessing. Well, um, the essence is much the same, um, you know, as, as everything, keeping the, the procedures simple. The Certainly from a crash fire rescue point of view, um, the, the sort of phrases that we would uh, employ in nurture are much the same as they would be in, in civilians as well. Um, it's just getting those key points across to people and understand the process and procedures and best practice to the, uh, the aim of the safe rescue of um, the occupants. Okay, if we talk about the size of the industry then, and I guess what counts as a as a super yacht? Like, what's what's the smallest sort of vessel you've you've worked with in terms of? We're, we're looking over, yeah, we're, we're looking at over five hundred gross ton in general. So, what sort of footage are we talking there? Like, how many how many feet? Well, uh, anything from uh, forty five meters upwards, really. Okay. Um, although that that said, um, those are those are the the, the sizes that we're looking at for designated uh, heavy. Uh, heli pads, if you like. There are a number of small yachts around that do have a touch-and-go facility, if you, if you will, which are um, obviously much smaller, um, a lot more challenging uh, for, for everybody, really. Yeah. Um, but as, as the title suggests, it really is just a touch-and-go facility to transfer passengers back and forth, which is uh, becoming ever, ever more increasingly popular for, for the owners um, and the charter companies. Obviously, it offers a, a much quicker transition um, so we're talking some pretty serious dollars. Like these are, are sizable prices. Yeah, yeah, multi-million pounds um, uh, uh, platforms or multi-million dollar uh, platforms, and they're, they're ever increasing. Um, we're starting to see around three um, percent uh, of the uh, CPOs have got heli decks, and, and the numbers been sort of ten percent a year over the last 10, 10 years. So um, it really is starting to become a, a popular addition to it. Um, the, the yacht designs um, and incorporating some form of facility for aviation uh, capability. Okay, and in terms of pilots involved uh, and and numbers of helicopters, like have you 
when people are talking about uh, you know operating off a, a super yacht, is it what's the arrangement there? Is it normally one helicopter that's assigned to that uh, that boat that'll stay with it, or is it uh, it might go on a cruise? Or there are a number of different. Um, there are those private owners who have a, a, a their own private uh, helicopter, and the majority of the time the aircraft will transition wherever it may be, uh, wherever the yacht may well be going. Um, with it, obviously dependent on the facilities uh, available on the yacht. Alternatively, some of the commercial yachts that are being used for charter will charter their own aircraft dependent upon the requirement, um, number of passengers, etc., um, distances to be travelled um, between um, pick-up and drop-off, etc. So there's a solution to be, to, you know, to fit um, the requirements out there. Um, but we are seeing an increase in growth of um, private owners um, utilising their own aircraft much, much more. And how far afield do you get? Like, uh, do you normally work in the, in the UK or will you travel all around the world to, to go and, and provide the support? It's been really good and it's, um, we've been able to travel out to New Zealand, Australia, um, obviously the Mediterranean, and uh, it's, 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 it's been quite a, a, an interesting opportunity to, to see quite a, uh, quite a wide range of the world, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in style in some cases, because I'm imagining you know, some of these, some of these <laughs> yachts must be amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, the training for the crew is usually conducted during, um, uh, certainly on a private yacht, so during a down period, so the owners won't be there. But then what that tends to mean is that um, there'll be a lot of contractors being brought on board, ourselves included. Um, so the crews are being uh, trained up for whatever disciplines that they, they or whatever duties they need um, to conduct. Um, some that have uh, tenders uh, will be uh, refitted, etc. Um, crews being trained up on those personal watercraft. Submarines, in some cases, will need to have uh, their uh, engineering downtime as well. So it's it's quite um, a busy period when we do arrive because the crew are sort of pulled from one place to the other, getting ready for the next um, trip uh, by the owner. Um, so it's maybe not as glamorous as we as we all like, but the the places that we visit are just fantastic. So, but uh, and let's say I'm fascinated by the the hard work of the crews when we get out there. They're just um, non-stop, really are. Uh, and in terms of fleet, like uh, in the helicopter side, is there a, a type of helicopter that kind of you see more of, or is it a real mixed bag? It, it's a combination, really, of light, medium, single, and twin helis. We see a lot of Airbus H135s, 145s, and uh, we've got a. We've not worked with the singles before, but we've got a, a new customer who's uh, got his own H130. So we're looking to develop some procedures with him soon on that one. Possibly, it's a Bell 49s future and. I mean, you never know. The Augusta Westland, the six or nine or two rotors, now that may well be something for the future for those that can afford it. It'd be quite a. Um, I think once people start to see the the added capability that the helicopters can bring, something like a tilt rotor will be would be amazing. But it's going to have to be a fairly big deck. Yeah, I was going to say because it's not a it's not a small footprint to put one of those on. No, it's not. But then when you see the size of some of the yachts now that are over 100 meters long, with uh, potentially two to three heli decks designated heli decks uh, within the, the, the configuration of design, um, I'm sure it wouldn't be long you know, too far down the future. Yeah, it's hard just to imagine, you know, that there's people of that uh, that sort of net wealth floating around, but it seems like it's, it's yeah. a growing a growing top-end market, that one. 
Yeah, um, I've uh, you know I've worked on smaller frigates, um, but it's uh, it is fascinating. It's fascinating the growth of the of the sector and, and the, uh, the the style and design of the builds that are being uh, introduced. Just just phenomenal. In terms of breaking in, or not so much breaking in, but I guess like the qualification side of things, is it on the job kind of training that you pick up, you go along? Is there um, ICAO you know courses? What's it? How's it break down in terms yeah, so, of qualifications? So the deck crews. There are certain requirements dependent on the um, flag state registry, obviously, for the platform, and also what working uh, operations you conduct. So, for example, if this is a commercial platform, i.e., one that's being char- used for charter purposes, then there are certain uh, requirements for for training. That the the, the the top level, if you like, is um, the uh, offshore patrol industry, uh, industry training organisations. Um, HLO, Helicopter Landing Officer, and the Helicopter Assistant, which is HTA. There are a series of um, of courses that you must, com- uh, you must com- uh, go through, if you like, and working on the offshore, predominantly offshore support vessels. But um, in the absence of anything else at the time, there was, that was the standard. However, the uh, Maritime Coast Guard Agency have, if you like, developed a, a, an alternative um, solution for the larger community. Um, and they offer four um, particular um, uh, modules, which bring the uh, delegates up to speed on basic operational procedures to, to from the simple task of doing uh, passenger transfers through to emergency procedures for crash on decks, etc. Uh, there's specific firefighting techniques involved within firefighting, from helicopter fires, not least the combination of the, the helicopter actually being at sea, and also refueling uh, training as well. So these, are, as I say, are, are prereqs for uh, commercial operators. However, in the private sector, unless stipulated by the, the flag state, there are no specific training modules, if you like, uh, or, or certifications that are required. Um, it just comes down to due diligence and best practice for the safety management system within the yacht, if you like to ensure that the teams are up to speed and, and running. The only overarching sort of regulation um, really is a statement within SOLAS 2, uh, Article 18, um, that stipulates that uh, helicopter operators should be trained and there should be an operating guide for them to utilise as well. And that's that's the, the level at which it goes to. Okay, so it's pretty loose then. Yeah. In terms of training, so obviously, you know, superyachtaviation.com is the website for folks to go check out. So you guys provide that sort of training then for the, the deck crews? Yeah, that's where we've, uh, we've, we've been, that's where we started, if you like, is, is to, to generate that awareness and understanding and, and, and promote maritime aviation and safety in the sector. And uh, we uh, run courses along the lines of um, both the PITO and the MCA um, and try to capture as many of those as possible as, as the safety aspects and give the guys and girls um, as much of, a, of an understanding of the hazards that are out there involved with maritime aviation and helicopter operations and then develop that uh, awareness into a, a culture that hopefully brings forward a, a better appreciation of the environment that they're working in. It's helped tremendously and we've, we've moved on now from the, the basic sort of standard operation procedures for passenger transfers, et cetera. We're now moving into slung loading of some of the equipment, for example, the, the capability of um, being able to undersling the um, quad bikes, for example, take those shoreside. We can achieve that in minutes versus trying to crane them onto a tender to then put them shoreside, um, which can take you know, up to half an hour, 48 minutes. Well, we're back and forth, kits offloaded, and uh, everybody's shoreside having fun in the quads within that safe 
same sort of well half the half the time really. So, but all of these things take time and, uh, and practice and, uh, and, and competency. So that's where we've we've developed to, and then hoping in the future to help with the pilots um, in, in, as well in um, producing some pretty comprehensive uh, guidance uh, to operating from private yachts, um, between the pros and cons, the ups and downs, and, um, and hopefully it's a bit of a, a guide to make life a little bit easier for them in the future. Yeah, because again, operating off the, off the Navy uh, ships, you know, there's uh, dedicated shoals and, and charts and, and all those sorts of things. Uh, and yeah. Is there a, you know international standard or is it just a you, you fly, look at the boat and, and fly, fly at it and, uh, and assess it on the way in or is there... Uh, yeah, best, we, best practice. It's there is a you know, standard approaches that uh, that will be taken sort of across the sector uh, as regards to shoals. Uh, the, the, the boats that we've worked on to date don't have uh, any um, shoals generated in their initial build process or, or, or um, first class fine uh, fine trials that you you'd normally go through. So it's been a, a combination of um, experience and lessons learned from colleagues who who are flying these. Um, these, these envelopes and reporting back and building up a, a general awareness and um, a log, if you like, of what's uh, what's what's been experienced. And from that, it's something that we're looking to do in the future. We hope to be able to be able to give some form of analysis um, once we get involved more with the build uh, process of, of some of these uh, new yachts that are coming to the fore. Okay, sure. In terms of uh, facilities on board, uh, so you, you know you spoke about the smaller uh, yachts, which are just like a touch and go, drop people off, and then the ones which yeah. actually land on and, and moor and, and 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 move with the boat. What do you have in terms of you know secu- uh, security for tying down and, and protection? You know, do some of these yachts have like an internal hangar where the machines pulled inside, or are they that big, or is it it's all sort of external heli deck type material? There's a, there's a full range actually, and um, there's a particular boat, Plan B. Um, she operates uh, an EC 145, um, and they are global, um, and but they have no hangarage at all. So we go from left of arc all the way over to right of arc, where there are now now vessels out there with, as you say, um, a sinking hangar, if you like, um, on, a, on a lift that you would have have seen on an aircraft carrier. It's fascinating, or an enclosed uh, hangar that um, sort of wraps around the aircraft once it's landed on. Going back to the original point, there, tie down points are a key point, a key factor in ensuring that um, it's included in design. Basically, you know, without hangarage, we've got to pull the aircraft forward as far as possible to get into the lee of any of the superstructures just to give it some sort of form of protection. So it's it's, um, it's something that we need to, to make sure that it's incorporated from the get-go. Covers, um, there are a range of really good uh, manufacturers out there um, who we use to give full protection of the, cover, uh, of the, of the, of the uh, aircraft in the absence of any hangarage. But unfortunately, there is limited space within most of the vessels for um, aviation components and, uh, and support materials. So it's, again, something we need to, to make sure they get involved with at the front end. So pilots out there that are looking to um, to get involved with it, you need to be thinking of the, the additional um, elements of support that we need to incorporate into the storage, um, at least not least uh, spares um, and uh, jockey wheels, etc., just to uh, to get the, the aircraft moving around once it's on board, as most of these will be skidded and uh, without any um, wheel down the carriage, etc. So, Gareth, in terms of uh, spare parts that the crews would carry on board, you know, how do folks sort of go about planning that in, in terms of what to take on board with them? 
Yeah, what we found is that um, the high wear items such as generators, um, they're sometimes carried due to uh, a larger number of starts than, than you'd normally have um, for uh, what are relatively short flights. So a lot of stop starts um, and uh, extra battery packs, starter packs, etc. Because we're doing a lot of sort of short, sharp uh, guest transfers backwards and forwards. So uh, generators, um, extra battery packs, and also things and for general uh, support like jockey wheels to give give you just the opportunity to, to put the aircraft forward into the lee of the, um, of the superstructure to give you a little bit more more, more protection if you like uh, once into transit. Okay, and refueling on board. What sort of is it? Everything from drums to yeah. built-in systems, or yeah, we've got uh, predominantly built-in systems, and um, those, as I say, with the increase of owners incorporating their own helicopters into the into the ships, uh, we've worked with the RCJ with refuel and defuel systems on board. Um, it's, in, it's it's imperative that they have a, a good size storage tank incorporated, and we're talking sort of five hundred liters and above. All ports are lovely to um, to the roof one, so it's um, it, it has to be considered and mitigated. Um, you won't necessarily get direct fuel supply from the side, so it has had to be ferried in in the past and then um, top tanks topped up uh, manually. Um, so it's a capability facility that needs to be incorporated, but again, early consultation with designers can make sure that we get a a really good and, uh, and uh, good system on board. Um, auxiliary tank storage as well for the aircraft, if it's all possible. Um, again, it depends on the owner's requirements, but uh, we're starting to see a lot more owners becoming adventurous with their aircraft and uh, utilising it for longer hauls than just a, a passenger transfer, so to speak. Sure, and you know, you, you talked about the short flight times and the, and the turnarounds, and, and I guess there's a lot of you know dead time cruising from port to port, depending on you know what they're doing itinerary. As a mm-hmm. as an aircrew member on board the ship, if if you're not flying the helicopter, do you kick back in in the spa and, and watch TV, or do you get uh, you get tasked as a as a crew member? <laughs> I'm sure there's a few people all on the rise now when you hear this, but uh, unfortunately not. As a, a, a certainly a lot of the guys we speak to who are on their own, there's a huge amount of administration that they've got to plough through, and not least the once the owners are on board. The guys are really on a, a pretty short notice um, to, to hop, so it's, it's sort of a 10-minute notice to to get back into the cab, get it flashed up and ready to go again. So not quite as relaxing as, uh, as, as someone like. And as I say, um, some of these guys are working some some pretty long hours and uh, you know, over a protracted period of time. Um, and uh, we start to see now an increase of, um, albeit that you have a designated pilot perch for the owners, uh, yacht and, and aircraft with those guys coming in with like rolling patterns and being supported by backup crews um, just to give them the downtime that they need and make sure that um, they're not uh, sort of fatigued. All right, and in terms of um, you know pay ranges and, and and breaking in and and getting a gig in this market, like if if you're operating you know solo off a, a boat and then you're in you know different ports and things like that, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a a low time pilot uh, picking up this work. Yeah, it depends on whether the, the line pilots are commercial operator or negotiated with the owner as a designated pilot for the yacht. Um, it also depends on the yachts uh, whether it retreats its pilots or keeps the one designated pilot. And it really does you know, depend on, on the individual's experience. Is there is there agencies or companies out there which sort of specialise in, in pilots for super yacht aviation? So obviously you guys do a lot of the training and things like that, but 
and you know rather than maybe a, you know an individual pilot being assigned to a, a ship and an owner and he's there for a couple of years but if uh, an owner you know gets their their super yacht with a heli deck on there is there companies out there that sort of you know, yeah. are specialist um you know placement agencies for you know qualified pilots who are operating off ships absolutely and um one in particular starspeed uh, limited here in the uk uh, do exactly that um, and provide that support um, to the pilot as well from the background as uh, in, in many cases so keeping gives the guys a uh, base if you like a uh, support structure as well that they can call back to but not least also the owner for, can get that that same support uh, from them if, if required for for whatever reason whether the pilot um, needs, needs downtime or rotation so uh, as I say we, we've um, we've worked with Starspeed UK, uh, in the UK and have built, they've built up quite a, a, a considerable amount of experience and knowledge and background in, in this kind of support uh, facility for pilots and, and yacht crews Okay, sure. Any advice for someone who's um, trying to break in? You know, I guess either either side. Someone who wants to be a you know a deckhand uh, and be involved in the aviation side, and, and someone who actually wants to, to fly on and off the off the uh, the yachts. Where's the best place to to try and get a foot in the door? Yeah, I think the I mean, from from the deck side of things, it's really about getting um, getting experience through the uh, courses that are out there already. I would suggest that the MCA courses would be best suited for for the large yacht community rather than going into the offshore uh, PITO courses. We can get a, a, a basic couple of, a couple. Of, it's a, I'm talking about a week's worth of training. It's going to be probably in the region of somewhere between two and a half and uh, four thousand pounds, but that will give you the full certification that you require to walk onto any yacht and be able to support the deck and uh, in, from from the yacht's perspective. Um, with regards to the pilots, I think it's really looking at um, contacting people like Starspeed um, here in the UK who would be able to give a, a much better appreciation of um, requirements of us in to jump into, the, in, into it from, from there. All right, Gareth, from your, your time, you know, working with the, the, the super yachts and the, there in, in superyachtaviation.com and the company and the training, and even back in the in the, the Navy side of things, is there, you know, is there any good stories you can sort of tell that tie in some of the things we've been talking about just to, to capture what the industry is like for people? Yeah, to me, it's bringing some of the lessons that we've learned from the military into the private uh, super yacht world and, and giving them the, uh, the advance of being able to, say, for example, just transition their their, their uh, quad bikes um, or whatever it is they need uh, onto shoreside um, in probably half the time that they're, 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 they're normally used to. They're really busy people. It gives them just a little bit more flexibility and capacity to do other things. And that's that's been quite quite good. It's, it's really rewarding to see people un- learn these new skills and um and and also to, to give the pilots that that feeling of a little bit of safety and security knowing for all the, the, the guys and girls that are supporting them and, and and operating below them are safe and uh they're competent and they're aware of all the other things that are going on around them um and that spreads through to the bridge as well you know the guys at the front end understanding the importance of keeping the a WMA flying course, maintaining speed and direction and the effects that will have on the pilots as they make the final approaches and the demands that are being put on them. And it's 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 helping everybody within the the operation understand the culture that we that we're adopting to maintain safety at sea. Top so that's 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 pretty good. What I might do is we'll on the uh, the blog post that goes with that, I'll grab some um that you mentioned a couple of the, the different courses uh, that folks can, can look at doing. So I might get those in, in detail off you and, and have some links there. So when you guys are listening back to this, you can 
go and have a look at those to get a bit more of an idea of, yeah, what's involved in, in, in terms of, of training. But uh, look, Gareth, thank you very much. It's a, a quick intro into to something very, very different and uh, might go see if I can get some photos off you to, to put with the, uh, the blog post as well. And uh, that, yeah. that's great. Thank you very much for having the time. Thanks. Thanks ever so much. Much appreciated. Thanks for your time, mate. That was Gareth Ross from Superyacht Aviation. You can find them on the web at superyachtaviation.com. And these guys are, you know, they're actually really quite uh, active on Twitter as well. So if you're on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash yacht aviation. Might be interested in finding out a little bit more about uh, how that side of the industry works and it might be a good idea to follow up with them. Look, if you do have a question for Gareth that you think others might benefit from, then please do keep the conversation going in the comments on the blog post for this episode at rotarywingshow.com. Now, it's been a while since I've plugged the download on the website as well. So if you head over to the website, you can download the top 10 helicopter books for helicopter aircrew as voted by you guys. I might actually have to run another poll soon and see if we can update those because we've had some pretty good uh, interviews come through too. So you download the list on the website. At the same time, you'll go on the mailing list and you'll get alerts for when uh, new episodes of the show are released. This episode has been sponsored by trainmorepilots.com where you can download marketing resources to help your flight school or aviation company get the word out about what you do using online marketing strategies, and that's over at trainmorepilots.com. Now, I spoke about the competition up the front of the episode, and, and last episode you got to hear from Mike Durant about special operations flying, and you guys have sent him some pretty positive feedback about that interview. And, you know, Mike is just a, a very humble guy for someone who's done such a wide range of flying under pretty stressful conditions. We mentioned it in that interview at the time, and I hadn't actually finished reading it, but his second book is called The Night Stalkers, Top Secret Missions of the U.S. Army's Special Operations Aviation Regiment. This book is about you know some of the other members of the 160th uh, Regiment and some of the incidents and missions that they've been involved in. And some of Mike's own experiences were you know pretty out there, but there's plenty more to match that. Like there's just story after story is amazing. You know, I'm reading it as I'm going through this book and thinking, yeah, no way, that is totally hardcore. Uh, some of the things that these folks have done. So yeah, great book. And what I want to do is, uh, if you competition, basically, I'm going to give out a Amazon Kindle gift card as a prize, so you can get a copy of the Night Stalkers book and read it too. So to be in the running or the, to have a, a crack at winning the gift card, here's what you need to do. So need to post a photo on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash rotary wing show and it's got to have a helicopter in the shot and with you holding a, a piece of paper with rotarywingshow.com on it and uh, look China graph pencil on the windscreen or similar is also totally acceptable so cover that again a photo of you it's got to have a helicopter in it and somewhere in the uh, photo the text rotarywingshow.com and also yourself in it and post that to the Facebook page. So have some fun with it. Let's see what you can come up with. And I'll announce the the winner in the next episode and send out a Amazon gift card as a, a prize. And if you don't win, then grab a copy of the book Night Stalkers as it's a you know pretty amazing read. Okay, I'm out of here. It has been an absolute pleasure to be able to bring you another episode. I'll catch you soon. <laughs>